Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, this is Ro, host of The Queen Pod. Queen have very kindly allowed us to use their wonderful music on this podcast, which is awesome. But the rest is up to us, darlings. Our goal is to provide you with an entertaining and informative companion piece to the entire Queen back catalogue. All of Queen, track by track. So, if you're in a position to offer us some support, please go to www.patreon.com forward slash queenpod and take a look at how to get involved. Thanks so much, and now sit back and enjoy while we rock you. Yeah, I love that version of We Will Rock You. Welcome back to Queen Pod, this very special episode where we're looking at Live at the Rainbow. So let me introduce my fine cohorts on the Queen Pod. She has drunk the wine time after time. It's comedian Suze Kempner. Hello. You all right? Lockdown lifestyle. <laughs> oh, yeah. Living the dream. Uh, the old bop is getting tired and needs a rest, but he's still here. It's Queen documentarian Simon Lupton. <laughs> The old bopper indeed. Thank you, Ro. <laughs> Hello. You're right, mate. Uh, yeah. Now, once upon a time, an old man told me a fable that when the soup is cold on your table, it'll be because comedian John Robbins is in your house. Hello, John. How are you? I'm good, thanks, man. Where's the... You removed the piper from that. I did. I did. I took the when the piper's gone just for... I used comedy licence. Well, I used no licence. and uh, the Archmagician presides. It's me, your host, Rohanacharya. It's me, Ro. Hello, everybody. How are we all feeling? Very excited to talk about Live at the Rainbow, yes? Yes. It's good times. Classic queen. Classic Classic queen, queen. yeah. We're dipping back into sort of the season one era of uh, tracks from uh, Queen, Queen Mm. 2 and Sheer Heart Attacks. It's nice to sort of take a little... A little revisit to our, uh, the beginning of this podcast in lots of ways, which is lovely stuff. Uh, but I thought very quickly, I know we've mentioned it a couple of times previously, but uh, we have been all rather kindly by Jamie um, Atkins, the, uh, uh, the editor of uh, Record Collector magazine. Uh, he sent us the Queen special that we've all had now a chance to look at. And my God, what a labour of love. This is Jamie. Well done, mate. Big shout out to you. Bless him. He told me that he was um, listening to the pod while putting it together. So a big special shout out to you. What a lovely thing it is. Beautiful forward by uh, John Robbins, I'd say. Mr. John? 
Thank you. Uh, yeah, it was real. Um, I enjoyed writing it, but it is quite hard to articulate why you like Queen so much in print because you kind of <laughs> think, oh my god, this is this is going to be there forever. But that was that was great. That's I also beautiful. loved the little interviews with the collectors. I thought that was such a great thing to have running through the magazine, the photos of people with their collections yes. behind them. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. Mm. I sort of started reading like the bits that were, you know, like it's the first ever Queen Pod ad in print anywhere, which was really nice yes. on the inside cover, which gave me a nice little boost. Lovely little bit of a uh, couple of pages on Simon at the back there, Simon. So I read mm. all those bits and now I've just found myself just reading the whole thing cover to cover. It's absolutely gripping stuff. And and well done to all those fans that answered the call and yeah. sent questions because that interview with Brian and Roger was was so insightful, so brilliant. Uh, and you could tell that they were being asked questions they don't normally get asked because the mm. quality of their answers was really good. They didn't just trot out the sort of, oh, here we go again. You're asking me what does Bohemian Rhapsody mean again? Um, mm. You know, there were some really good questions in there. And we got some we got some good answers as well. We got some nice tidbits of information, didn't we? We really did. Roger Taylor album coming this year, My solo God. album. Very exciting. Brian's revisited Back to the Light. That That's coming exciting. this year. What do That's you think that means? News. He's talking about having kind of reworked the songs a bit, and yeah, I think they've revisited the you know the album, but also they'll, they'll do what they've done with other sort of similar sort of revisits to Queen albums. There'll be some alternative takes, maybe a few demos and live versions thrown in, a few rarities. Amazing. Exciting. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it is very exciting. So, yeah, thank you, Queen Pod listeners and Queen Fan Club people who sent those questions in. Uh, just pick up the just pick up the copy. It's it's so full of cool stuff. And yeah. I think it also shows like something I touched on at the start is Queen fans aren't like other fans. They yeah. are a breed apart from other bands mm. fans. And I thought the, the magazine was a really good testament to that. Definitely. Mm. I agree. I agree. Yes, yes. I think, uh, yeah, I really enjoy that you put pointed that out your your piece at the top, actually, John. And uh, also, the advice to listen to Queen loud is probably if you take <laughs> one takeaway, any listener to this podcast, just listen to Queen loud. That is how they are meant to be listened to. Oh, that's. I actually had just a flashback to when I was about ten, being at my mum's friend's house and. The guy was playing us Queen Two on his new hi-fi, and he kept turning it up. And he and his wife kept having a go at him because it was late at night. And I remember him flipping and going, "You have to listen to Queen at the appropriate volume." <laughs> I just remembered that. <laughs> That's such a great phrase, the appropriate volume. The appropriate volume. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was very lo- bang on though. Bang on. Yeah. Yeah. And especially true, I think, in the album that we're going to be talking about yes, today. Yes, yes. Yes, let us get into this. So we're going to talk about The Rainbow. Now, this is where I'm going to lean on my cohorts more than me, because my way into Queen was live magic. And so I'm sort of more, probably more kind of embroiled in that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, I got snap- snatches of um, uh, The Rainbow gigs on things like Queen Rare Live, my video back in the day would have the little bit of Freddie with his diamonds going there. They don't believe me, <laughs> all that good stuff, you know. Um, but it isn't uh, a record that I'm that familiar with. So um, what I thought I would do, for those of you listening that aren't really aware about uh, what a rainbow is beyond, you know, a thing in the sky 
or <laughs> possibly a thing with George Zippy and Bungle. Um, the Rainbow <laughs> Theatre is a Grade Two listed building in Finsbury Park in London, uh, and it was originally built in nineteen thirty as uh, in nineteen thirty as a cinema. It was called the Finsbury Park Finsbury Park Astoria, um, and then began functioning as a music venue during the sixties, um, where they'd have acts on like the Beatles and Jimi Hendrix. Um, in fact, Jimmy. The first time he ever set his guitar on fire was at uh, that venue in 1967. The Beach Boys played there. And then in 71, it became a permanent, September 71, it became a permanent music venue. Um, and uh, The Who were the first people to perform at that newly named venue. That's when it was called um, The Rainbow. Uh, in 1971, it got called The Rainbow Theatre. Um, and I've got an interesting uh, little incident um uh, where one musician changed the landscape of the theatre forever, and that musician uh, went by the name of uh, Mr. Frank Zappa. Oh, mm. yes. Do you know about this? So, yeah, I've heard of him. Yeah. So, <laughs> do, you want, do you know the story, John? Do you want to tell it? I do. Well, he was pushed off stage he was. by a, a member of the audience. Yes, I've got his name. Who, I know his who, name. Oh, have you? I do. Mr. Trevor Howells. Ran up the side steps of the stage and pushed Zapper off into the pit. <laughs> well, he, I mean, it, I it's laugh. a funny image, but he broke his back. He was in a wheelchair <gasps> for oh it was bad. over a year. Yeah, and oh my next, God. a fractured leg. He cut his head, and he was in hospital for six weeks. Yeah, yeah, it was bad. And he, the next two albums, there's very little um, sort of photographic press for because he was in a wheelchair and his leg in plaster. Um, and it really affected him, I think, because he was always a big fan of... He was more popular in the UK than he was in America. Um, but, it, yeah, that, so it was a real that lingered long in the memory, I think. Yeah. Wow. Well, he changed the landscape of the theatre forever after that because the steel gap between the stage and the floor of the rainbow was then covered with sheets of hardboard on staggered scaffolding to create a slope to, I presume, catch artists that fell off the stage, I guess. Yeah. Um, but yes. What? So someone just got on the stage and pushed him off it. Trevor did it. Bloody I think Trevor. he was yeah. sort of jealous, having a sort of moment because his girlfriend was a big Frank Zappa fan. I think. Oh, that... so it was done out of malice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. I don't know if you can did do go a to jail? pushing off the stage. Well, he might have got on and tried to mosh with him. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. I don't know. But but did he go to prison for this? Because it sounds like he ruined someone's life. <laughs> Um, I would need to check that. Yeah, I don't know whether. Jeez. I mean, I imagine that wow. Zappa would have pressed charges. I mean, for goodness' sake. <laughs> That's um, awful. Which is terrible. But while John finds that out, uh, what was the uh, outcome for Mr. Trevor Howells? Uh, other artists that appeared, uh, that performed at the venue in the early 70s included Alice Cooper in 71, Pink Floyd in 72, David Bowie uh, on his Ziggy Stardust tour in 72, uh, Eric Clapton in 73, James Brown in 73, Van Morrison in 73. What a period of music this was. Stevie mm. Wonder um Appeared there in January 1974, uh, three weeks before Queen's first gig there. Um, and so I think it was just a superbly prestigious gig to play. Uh, in 1982, the theatre was closed permanently. They had um, The management had trouble uh, sort of maintaining it to the required standard of a preservation order on that building. And it is designated a listed building. It was left unused for about 14 years. Uh, and in 95, the building was taken over by its current owners, the Universal Church of the Kingdom of God, 
who are a Brazilian Pentecostal evangelical church. Um, so that is a potted history of what the rainbow itself is. So now, wow. wherever you are in the world, you know what this building is. Um, and Simon, perhaps you want to talk to us about uh, these two gigs uh, that both took place in 1974, uh, a yeah. year where they released two studio albums, which is pretty impressive. I, I can just mm. confirm that he was uh, charged with assault with malicious intent to commit bodily harm and bail was set at £100. Right. Wow. Well done. Well, well done. Good. Well done. Justice. Yeah, exactly. Justice okay. for all. Malice indeed. Yeah. Um, yeah, so you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, I think just when you you see that list of, of people who have performed there, uh, it sort of makes it clear that Rainbow will become one of those those venues that you you just had to play if you were an up and coming band. Getting gigs at the Rainbow were, were seen as a really important stepping stone um, to sort of becoming hugely successful. And um, having promoted the Mot the Hoople tour of the year previously, um, which Queen had supported on, uh, the promoter Mel Bush had seen Queen in action and had seen how crowds who weren't there to see them, to be honest, they were there to see Mott the Hoople, had responded so positively to what Queen were doing. Um, he'd said to them, I think you're ready to headline your own tour um, and I think you could play the rainbow. Um, and Brian has told this story and he just sort of said they were they were all kind of like, really? <laughs> you think we're there? Um, and so in 1974, which was the tour for their second album, uh, bearing in mind the first album hadn't exactly set the world alight when it had been released because it had taken so long to come out. Mm. Suddenly they're not only headlining their own UK tour, um, but they're selling out uh, at the Rainbow in March of that year. Um, Three and a half and then thousand Heart Attack, they sold out. Yeah. But so then the it was tickets a big deal because we've talked about this before, haven't we? That a lot of bands were basically doing the college circuit, universities. That was where a lot of concerts right. were taking place. Um, they weren't. It's not the the days of stadium rock where sure. you'd, you'd go on a tour and play huge sort of you know arenas and and stadiums. Um, so for Queen to get the Rainbow that early in their career was a huge achievement, and to nail it, which is what they did. Uh, in March and then to come back six months or seven months later with their next album and their next tour and then do two nights that both sell out at the Rainbow was sort of a real indication of how how fans were finding Queen and how their live show lent itself to big audiences yeah. already yeah. so and I think that's something we're going to touch on when we talk about is this is a fascinating moment in the evolution of Queen live you know sort of how Freddie is learning how to communicate with with the crowd and how the band are learning how their songs are making everyone feel part of the of the show mm. which is something that they they worked incredibly hard at so it's we are so lucky that we not only have these amazing audio recordings of these shows um, but there's film footage of it as well there I is mean, actually uh, it's I've, extraordinary uh, for uk Listeners, um, the uh, second gig, the November gig, is available on Sky Arts at the moment. So I had a good old watch of that. It was bloody lovely. Yeah, it's 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 fascinating. Because um, yeah, we we know what they became. <laughs> so this yeah. is this is a great opportunity to see that that journey. And it's not often you get to hear Freddie's voice indoors <laughs> on stage. <laughs> no, that's true. So yeah. there's yeah. this sort of slight. Uh, arena, well, not arena, slight theatre-like echo, yes. sort of reverb on his voice, which is so nice because usually you're, he's on stage in the open air, mm. 
So there's an intimacy to the recording, which is really something special. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's true. It's really true. Um, so am I right in thinking, uh, Simon, that 1974 is the only year where Queen released two albums, or at least two studio albums in the same year? Because I think pretty much every album came out, certainly through the 70s, one a year, pretty much, and then... In the 80s, it'd be one every yeah, couple of years. I mean, I think they might yeah, have no, released right, compilations in the same year as another. Yeah, I think Greatest Hits and Flash came studio out in the same year, didn't it? Was it The Game and Flash came the out the same year? The Game is 80, isn't it? 79 yeah. for The um, Game, and then 80 79. for Flash. Okay. And then I think oh, 81 yeah. was... 81. Oh, uh, right, so then 82 for Hot Space. Hot Space 82, was it, or 81? Hot Space was 82, 82. yeah. Oh, yeah, so yeah, you're, you're, uh, yeah, that, that, yes, let's say that is true. <laughs> no, it, the game and Flash Gordon came out in 1980. Both oh, in the same okay, year. Oh, okay. Yeah. 79, I'm sure. No, no games, Crazy Little Thing 80. was released before the album was, wasn't it? Yes, you're right. So let's say that's not true. That it was it's only one of two times where it happened. <laughs> I wonder what the uh, the carbon footprint of tweets I've saved there by yeah. just putting that out. <laughs> <laughs> the of energy not being used. Yeah. Yeah. So they say to mine Bitcoin, it's uh, the amount of energy it takes to power Argentina for a year. Oh, really? Yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> and that's what we just say. Oh, wow. We just say. <laughs> so does that mean Argentina's got no power for this year? Or do they do have I power? I don't understand Bitcoin okay. at all, but I'm going to say yes. Okay. They have that's no power because of Bitcoin, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so Queen 2 was released on the 8th of March in uh, 1974. And... Um, uh, on the Rainbow album, uh, the gig on the 21st of March is what you get there. Uh, uh, and then uh, Sheer Heart Attack was released on the 8th of November, 1974. So they, they returned there to do two gigs on the 19th and 20th of November as part of the Sheer Heart Attack tour. So that is why this is a fated uh, and important uh, part of their history. Um, uh, 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 and John, you, out of all of us, are the one that has invested in the super-duper Queen live at the Rainbow box set, right? Well, also, what's slightly confusing, I've got the original box set as well. Oh, yeah. Because live at the Rainbow was av- has been available for many, many years. Yes, I remember the deluxe version is on my tunes right now, yeah. So I'm pretty sure that my original box set that someone gave me, because I'd mentioned on the radio that when I was 12, I saw it in an antique shop weirdly wow. and I was got obsessed with it but it was 50 quid so I couldn't afford it obviously yeah, that was a lot and then money. 20 years later someone just gave it to me at a gig they said wow. you can have this and it's got a t-shirt a badge a cd and um a poster I think but because I'm insane I've not opened any of those things <laughs> so they're all still in their wrapper <laughs> and then I got the new box set. Oh, hang on, I'll just grab it yeah, a sec. Yeah, do. I'm sure you'll have to go far, far away to get it. Uh, so we'll give him a minute to come um, back. Oh, no, he's got it. He's there, he's back. So the amount of different box sets versions they released of this was slightly confusing. I don't know which one I've got, but I've got... A gorgeous The one, one with... It's two CDs and a DVD and a Blu-ray. Is there no LP in that, then? Because it's um, LP-shaped. It's LP-shaped a bit like the News of the World box set that they released. How lame is this? So I still haven't opened all of the extra bits because I didn't want to open Oh, yeah. (laughs) But it's got a copy of the uh, reprint of the Daily Telegraph magazine uh, that featured them. It's also got a really cool little um, packet of 
sort of there's a backstage pass there's some recreation ticket stubs there's yeah. two badges there's a a, a stage pass That's sticker it's a cool stuff and then the 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 CDs and DVDs themselves come in this sort of book and this is similar to the news of the way the news of the world one is set out so it's got amazing oh, gorgeous it's just got so many what was photos the graph? why is there a graph uh, that's probably a copy of the um, it's sort of different stage notes and um, sort of set lists and stuff so it's it's a really I mean it's expensive but you open it thinking they have really mm. that is really good value mm. um, and I'm hoping that this sort of habit of re-releasing each album in a mega deluxe box set on its anniversary will continue because the news of the world box set is superb right okay oh. beautiful well we'll be getting on to news of the world on the next episode so i'm sure that will right. come up very exciting oh, yeah. uh but we are here in the rainbow Suze, what's your relationship with these rainbow gigs i wasn't that familiar with it as a as a an event like I didn't realize it yeah. was such a big event in Queen's history until we got to it but I'd seen it loads of it's on YouTube yeah so I'd seen like early performances because there's so much from Queen too yeah. you know you can't really see Ogre Battle performed live many places right. so I got to watch all that and um so I've always found it really amazing and they just look so uh they look really young and fresh but not green in any way they look like they've been doing it for years and years at this point yeah um and i think if you're really familiar with wembley 86 which is the live show i've been the most familiar with for my whole life because we had it on vhs and everything um it's really interesting to go back 12 years and watch live at the rainbow yeah. footage yeah yeah you see it's the amazing. embryonic version of fred i mean yeah. freddie in particular i just i think he just looks extraordinary he looks so mm. he's got this whole dandyish quality that's going on he looks so exotic and beautiful mm. um and you know again uh, i think you know as a kid i was sort of just like where's his mustache <laughs> you know mm. he's supposed to have a mustache but now i'm looking at him and he just looks he looks extraordinary and um you know I, i've mentioned this a couple of times before but you know sort of it's only really going through queen over the last year with with, with you guys where I've started to sort of just realise, hang on, this this band was fronted by, you know, a person of colour. And mm. he looks stunningly exotic and, and just beautiful. His cheekbones are amazing. Uh, mm. And he's just got this beautiful, uh, beautiful clothing on. I think um, Zandra Rhodes had done the uh, the white sort of rainbowy mm -hmm. sort of angel mm. silky costume yeah, he's got on the second gig. Yeah, that you see on oh, Bohemian God, Rhapsody amazing. video as well. Yeah, amazing yeah. designer she is. She did all the princess diana stuff and all that kind of stuff but um amazing um and i noticed that when he speaks and he says wonderful things all the way through the gig but he speaks english with such precision it's it's not it's almost mannered you can kind of see that yeah. he's it, it feels now through uh, through a lens of of history that perhaps he was making a real effort to bring that precision into play um, because it's one thing I think in the seventies, being labelled a poof or whatever horrible things they would say about you know, and he was always very quiet about that. But I think he was even more quiet about potentially his sort of 
ethnicity because he was making a real effort there. So that really struck me. That's really interesting because I was talking about this with my um, girlfriend's dad because we're both big cricket fans. And so frequently when you hear Indian and Pakistani cricket players talking, these sort of commentators who were players in the sort of 60s or whatever, they speak with a, a sort of a very RP sort of English really uh, yeah. accent, but also lexicon. So mm. there's quite quite a lot of sort of jolly good shot and old mm. boy and that kind of thing, because that would have been the English, that would Those have been how idiots. English was taught. Yeah. Yeah. So you have this sort of snapshot of what sounds like a quite old fashioned way of using English. Mm. But Freddie is, I think, a really good example mm. of, of that. Mm. And there's a lot of, you know, my dear and mm. it, it's it's um almost sounds sort of slightly upper class yes mm. yes it's not yeah. like uh it's not base colloquialism he is he is no. extremely um well-mannered and everything I, I, was, I was very struck by that um so what we're going to do is we're going to we're not gonna don't worry we're not gonna go through every single song on this double <laughs> album because that's craziness um so just for the listeners benefit when we're talking about the march gigs uh, we're talking about the Queen Two gig, the uh, the um, um, the first part of the album, and, and and the second part of the album was later in November, which is um, everything up to sheer heart attack. Can I just say I'm driving myself mad here? Is th- was there an original live at the Rainbow release, Simon, or have I got confused? No, because there was a film. They filmed it with, the, and that film was released. Um, it was an edited version of it. Um, so what, from the, the, two the box, just bear with me one second. It's just right next to me. Okay. I'm just going to get this. Just to avoid people going nuts if I've got this wrong. This is the, <laughs> this is the box set. The other one I had. So it's... Also oh, okay. Yes. It's in a okay. sort of leather effect case. And you open up the lid. Yeah, and it's live at the rainbow on VHS. Yeah. Oh. It also comes with Queen, the 12-inch collection. Oh, wow. Not mm-hmm. Live no. at the Rainbow on CD. So it's the video of Live at the Rainbow. Yeah. CD of the 12-inch collection, a badge, a patch, and there's a little drawer underneath. It's sort of like an old-fashioned writing desk almost. And in the drawer is a T-shirt <laughs> and a booklet of just sort of photos of, of Queen from all of their albums, so it's I don't, I think it may have been colloquially known as the Live at the Rainbow box set. Right. I think it was just a way of releasing the the, the film that they made on VHS. Yeah, that, there's also a poster which I think is every single they ever released. Wow, oh, wow. that is awesome. That's but lovely. where does it go up to? Because that'll give us a clue. That's from Keep Yourself Alive up to. Uh, the show must go on. Right, right. Oh, so ni- and Bohemian Rhapsody in the Days of Our Lives. Right. So this wow. must have been released in like '92. Right. right. Okay. Shall we get on to uh, the March the 31st, 1974 gig? Um, I think we're going to talk about the opening to a Queen gig in some detail when we get to the November gig. So just to run through the track listings here, uh, we, we kick off with Procession, go into Father to Son. Uh, roar off with some ogre battle, then some uh, son and daughter kicks in, and then we get a two-minute guitar solo from Brian, 
uh, and then White Queen as it began. But we're going to stop for a moment at this point to discuss the fact that they are playing Great King Rat here. Um, a seven-minute mm. version of it. John? I, I think it's there is a slight difference in the sound of both uh, recordings. For me, not that it's a competition because they both sound incredible, but the March 74, the mix is absolutely outstanding. Mm. And I put it on... I could not believe how good it sounded. Roy Thomas Baker recorded that. It feels like you're there. And the way I would describe it is the November 74 gig sounds like you're there, but just a few rows further back. (laughs) But the the March gig, it's just, it's brutal, is the sound. And Great King Rat is so, like what they do with other big tracks is they sort of split them into a sort of medley. And there's an exceptional example of that on the second gig, which we'll talk about later. But what is amazing about Great Kicking Rat is they play it in its entirety and it makes you realise what a beast of a song it is, how um, how much it g- goes on in it. And it also makes you realise why it didn't stay on their set list for very long. Yes. Because it's <laughs> so... Should we listen to a little bit? It's so difficult, yeah. Do you think? Shall we have a listen? Let's listen to a little bit of it, John, and then you can kind of um, get into the detail of it with... Um, I'll play about a minute of it. Where will I be tomorrow? Will I beg? Will I borrow? I don't care anywhere. Come on, come on, the time is right. The man is evil, and that is right. I told you, and that's no lie. Would you like to know? Or would you like to know? Mm. (laughs) what an undertaking incredible sound and i think it's really interesting that with bohemian rhapsody when they used to play that and they would break it up and they would not do the vocal section they always said we don't want to do something live that we can't replicate from the album and what's amazing is i reckon that great king rack is probably the peak of what they are able to replicate from an album and it must have taken so much energy and concentration to do that. And Roger is absolutely on fire. Yeah, he must finish those gigs just doing that thing where you had a long drive going, oh, <laughs> and you grab each shoulder and go, oh. But like all we've done is some driving. <laughs> Every track on this, he play, he's playing things faster, some of these, than on the album. Like, I mean, we'll yeah. get to it, but Stone Cold Crazy on the, at the second gig, at the November gig, is faster than on the album. It's, it's crazy. crazy. It is crazy. I mean, Stone what, what he crazy. needs is, is Sue's on staff with maybe a, a nice bottle of water and maybe some Raljex. <laughs> I don't think I could do enough. 
like to help him out like if there was i'd say is there anything else is that like i can nip down londis anything you like all right yes um i think you're absolutely right john it is it is extraordinary on both of these uh, recordings just just how ballsy are they are to play these tracks I and mean, you're right great king rat didn't stay um in the in the set list for very long but it is remarkable that they do it here mm. well when you watch the footage of the the second gig what's a real sort of difference between i guess later queen live and this is how much concentration is going on mm. and i'm not saying they weren't concentrating when they did wembley at 86 but mm. you can tell that they are sort of trying to make sure that every single note mm. is as perfect as it can be mm. and because it's the first time they've perhaps done it in a venue this size or with the profile that they have you just know how those sort of, especially Brian, mm. he is so focused. Mm. Um, and there really is nowhere to hide in those little venues. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I mean, he's doing that sort of wow, wow, wow sound that he got on the solo from, um, you know, du- du- you know it's, he is replicating the album version incredibly mm. precisely. It's, it is extraordinary. Yeah. And you're also getting songs that, I mean, there are, we're familiar with tracks like Crazy Little Thing Called Love being sung live or I Want to Break Three and we have numerous versions of those songs and they sort of are part of Queen's live canon. So to get these gems that you mm. that sort of disappeared in the later 70s from the set list is such an absolute treat. Also, they were more experienced as a, a, a live act on those later gigs. Obviously, it's not, it's not a very clever thing to say, but obviously they were. But I imagine that they would then sort of have a different understanding of how to approach those songs live. Uh, you know, Suze, you've talked about how Freddie might make a certain mm. sequence of notes a little bit more achievable live where he pushes yeah. it a lot further in the, in the studio. Knowing that right? there's an hour of singing ahead, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, whereas, you know, this is very early in their careers and they mm. they are they are dedicated to offering the most precise and complicated live experience that you can get. Yeah, they, they know, they've got something to prove here, which probably they didn't later down the line as much. So yeah. they have to prove they have to prove they belong on in this opportunity they've been given, and it's yeah. a it's a good lesson to absolutely all of us, isn't it? Really? Yeah, pull your Don't, thumb out. <laughs> you can't half-ass it. You can't half-ass it. <laughs> I mean, we, we talked. Uh, I know I asked you last time. Suze, what mm-hmm. what you would teach Freddie if you could go and teach him? I'm guessing one thing you would say is, if you're trying to protect your voice, don't open with father to son ogre battle and son <laughs> and daughter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. you you were lucky game. there, mate. You were lucky there because even though I'm an assistant, they like the fact I'm honest. <laughs> <laughs> you were lucky there, Amazing. mate. Well, let's move on to the fairy fellas' masterstroke, shall we? Oh. Should we listen to a little bit of this live, please? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, 
my goodness me. My goodness me. How dare they. They are playing so fast. This song was very, very rarely performed live. So it is so lovely to have it here. But how could you dare tilt at it? I mean, what? I mean, come on. Simon, well, how, you... how does Roger have time to do the little tick 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 because he's really good. Oh yeah, he's really good. <laughs> no, okay, I, I when I listened to this one, I just wrote, I wrote down such precision. I mean, oh, it's, unbelievable. Yeah, it's so on it. And um, we talked about this last week, didn't we? When we were talking about somebody to love, and and Sue's made the excellent point that if any one of them is slightly off, then the whole thing falls apart. So you mm. need all four members of that band to be absolutely on it. And I think we're seeing that there. And this is three years into their their live career yeah, together yeah. as a foursome yeah. and it's extraordinary and as we said they're grasping this opportunity they've really worked at this it's amazing yeah Suze, is it fair to yeah. say that you can hear their why one shouldn't open with father to son over battle and son <laughs> and daughter because it's, it, it's weirdly because freddie's dropping lyrics because you can't get them all yeah. in which yeah. is absolutely fair enough <laughs> But he's really, he's sort of at his limit at that time. Yeah, isn't there's, he? he, like, because he's hitting the top notes in Belt at the beginning, but then you can feel him going, like, oh, it's a long road ahead. So he's very much, <laughs> so I say thank you for the music. <laughs> <laughs> but I, that moment, the reason I played that bit is the, the moment where it all drops out and they go choral. Uh, mm. I mean, wow. how are you doing that? You're busy playing, you're singing at the same time as you're playing. All, all three of them, three out of the four of them are. Mm-hmm. And then they just, without you know, without losing pace on any level, they just have the balls to so just drop the instruments out and and just do an ac- almost a cappella choral. Yeah, that's section. awesome. Yeah, and a bit like the thing about the echo in Freddie's voice. When you go silent and drop like that in a theatre, there is a different tone to when you do it on stage at Milton Keynes Bowl or or. Wembley or Nebworth or whatever it has a sort of there is a pin drop tone to a theatre silence which is it's so great to hear yeah 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 I just think that most I don't know I don't know to just have the um the temerity to go yeah yeah we'll put this in the set list I mean it's mad Mm. it's so complex and fast and incredible well, let us rattle on through uh, this little gig here. Um, Keep Yourself Alive comes in after that with a nice little, tidy little solo from Roger, which is good fun, so check that out if you want to. Um, Seven Seas of Rye is sort of the um, the big hit by this point. Uh, and that's what they close the gig on. Uh, and then they do an encore, don't they, Simon? Yes, they do. Now, what's in the what's, encore? What's really interesting is... What you're probably all aware of that when I was a teenager, I used to love making mixtapes of my favourite live performances of modern times rock and roll. So I would go and, and find <laughs> all the versions of that song I could, and then put them together into like a top ten. And and I'm excited because Rainbow is definitely in my top ten, and this March version in particular. Um, right. When you compare right. it to the November, because they did it in November as well, as I'm sure you're aware. They did. They did. They, they did. did. They played it live a lot, didn't they? They played it live a lot, and. Um, it's... For those of you that haven't listened to Series <laughs> 1 of this podcast, Simon faithfully com- <laughs> claimed that they didn't play Modern Times Rock and Roll Live. No, that's not true. You said that they didn't play it at the same speed as it is on the album version. I, I said I that's wasn't actually, sure if I'm they'd done it live, because yeah. I'd forgotten these mixtapes I made when I was a teenager. <laughs> sure. Because um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm getting old. But um, <laughs> obviously, Modern Times Rock and Roll Live is is 
any Queen fans sort of go to track. Um, so I do hope we're going to hear some of it. Yeah, let's listen to some. Come let's on, some. <laughs> it's it brilliant. Absolutely bonkers. That's actual thrash metal. Yeah, that is some Ooh. seriously great stuff. And uh, one of the reasons I love it is is hearing Freddie sing it. It's amazing mm. to hear, you know, it's really uh, cool. Fred on it. And in a lot of ways, I almost prefer it to the album version. In um, just with that that little riff that we heard at the end uh, over the back of the chorus, it's just such a cool arrangement of it. It's oh my great. God, these guys are fast. Go on, Simon. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's great. You're right, and. Um... What a great encore. I mean, you can imagine that the, the crowd are at fever pitch at this point and what a party they're having. And I think, again, this is coming in an era where it was very much the thing to do was to sit and listen and, and appreciate the music. And that's how a lot of it was performed. You know, the right. artists would stand there and there'd be not much movement and you would you would enjoy, you know, the artistry of it. Whereas here, as well as marvelling in the, in the brilliance of these performers you're getting a full-on show you're, you're having a party and you're and you're being encouraged to get up and be part of it and you can't um, sit down at a queen you can't, gig. No. I, it drives me crazy when people want to sit down at queen gig if i'm honest um you know i remember <laughs> that from the tribute concert like i didn't know i had not been to any of these things before and literally they came out with the first sort of uh, uh, strum from Brian and sort of a brow and then everyone was up and that was the thing to do and you know that is yeah. Queen like you have to stand up for Queen <laughs> <laughs> they're playing like this hmm. I mean I think you know there is a thing about Queen where people sort of I, I get so, I'm, I'm literally getting more excited and more excited the more we listen to these <laughs> it's so full of adrenaline this music um, I'll try and come down a touch to make this point which is you know, a lot of people talk about this era of Queen uh, where they're at their most hard rock. Um, and that is almost impossible to not deny at this stage <laughs> from what we've just heard. I mean, that is some heavy, heavy rock. Yeah, definitely. And you can see why there's a lot of Queen fans that cite this era as, as their favourite yeah, yeah, period. You know, these this sort of run of albums of Queen 2 and Sheer Heart Attack into A Night of the Opera. And um, it, it's for songs like that. You know, yeah. particularly performed live, which has always been a personal very, very of vital mine. live, yeah. live part of their set. In fact, yeah, yeah absolutely, very yeah, vital. Yeah. I mean, it was typically on the Queen Two tour set, wasn't it, Simon? Very it typical. was there all the time. Yeah, always, always. Who knew? Uh, Who knew? Uh, so then, I'm just going to touch uh, a little bit through the rest of this um, this little long call. You, you, you knew, Simon. You, um, <laughs> uh, <so laughs> you just forgot you knew. Sucker yeah. John thing, right? Um, okay, so uh, I'm just going to touch a little bit. They do a lovely little rock and roll medley here of Jailhouse Rock, Stupid Cupid, Bebop Alula. Uh, and the reason I'm, ju- I'm just going to pull out a tiny bit of it that I, I really enjoy, I, I haven't found it them playing this little element in, in other gigs, but this is stuff that they still are doing in uh, 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 Alive Magic in 86. Mm. 
right? They all do a rock and roll medley. And I love that they do that. It just shows that they're, they love music. I don't know what the right situation was with any of it, but nobody seems to care. And they like to just play some rock and roll. It's great hearing Queen do this. And we listen to a little bit of uh, Stupid Cupid. love those bits because I remember reading that they they talked about when they were first starting out they'd they were very much sort of almost in each other's pockets all the time there was a real sort of them and us sort of situation of of their hunger to be successful and they'd regularly get together in someone's flat and a guitar would come out and they'd sit and they would just jam but they would jam cover versions like Jailhouse Rock and Stupid Cupid that's how they just sort of used to hang out and um I think they do these on stage as a little reminder to themselves of what it was like in those days and just that they are, as you said, reminding themselves they're a rock and roll band. That's what it is. It's all about the rock and roll music. And they did it all the way through their career with Freddie, um, as you say, right up into the Magic Tour. They still do it now with Adam. You know, they were doing Heartbreak Hotel on the last tour before the pandemic kicked in. So I just think it's... It's great, and it's sort of like at the end of the day, we've of course we've got all these amazing hits, yeah. but we love, it. and I and I think part of the joy for them of, of teaming up with Paul Rogers was doing uh, all right now and feel like making love. You know, there's oh. other great songs. Yeah. And I know I remember Brian yeah. saying he just couldn't wait to to get into that all right now riff. You know, yeah. and play it live. Yeah, um, it's just I think there's great a freedom for that. Queen do versions of these songs that we know. Yeah, because so well, yeah. there's no expectation, is there? Because when they do their songs, we know how we want them to sound. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So there's yeah, yeah. A, there's a pressure to deliver that, but with these, they've just got freedom, and I think they love it. Yeah. Also worth uh, mentioning, the last time Queen ever played in public together was a little medley of rock and roll songs. It was for after the, Wembley oh, for that the after party. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Kensington Roof Gardens. I won't mention the lineup because one of them's now disgraced. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, Him again. Right. It was. I think the best guess of the set list was Tutti Frutti. Uh, sweet little rock and roller and Johnny Be Good. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. These guys they, could play. I mean, how long have they been playing by this point in this gig? Like an hour and a half. Oh yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. at least, and they're just still just freaking their energy is unbelievable, right. unbelievable. Great, um, Suze. Uh, yeah. I think it's time to talk about Liar, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, it is. Should we listen to a bit first? <laughs> Sounded like a confrontation. <laughs> oh, was it? <laughs> oh, it's time to no, address you... your lies. Hey, Sue. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, look, I've, I've picked out a little chunk of it uh, just to remind everyone what it sounds like, really. Um, but uh, let's uh, let's have a have a listen. Please forgive me, you know you never leave me, please will you direct me 
broke his string during uh, around the point where Freddy goes, listen! Uh, and he had to switch to his Fender Strat, his backup guitar, wow. halfway through this performance. Oh. I didn't know that. That's amazing. Yeah, amazing. I picked this because we are, as we said, hour and a half into a show, and his vocal here is flawless throughout. You can hear it's flawless in that um, when he does that first liar. His placement is perfect. He doesn't know that. It's just instinct, but it's so perfect. Wow. And that's why, and he just sounds amazing throughout the whole song. His vocal is raw, but it's also really warm. Ah, yeah. yeah. And I love when when the song starts, um, I got real jealous of all the people who were there when it just started with, you know, that. Oh, yes. I went, I went, oh, I wish I'd been there for that. Because you can hear, you can sort of feel everyone in the room, like their ears go, ooh. To listen, that, <laughs> yeah. that just that. Yeah, Roger's insane it, on this track. Actually. Oh, so it, yeah, it's brilliant. <laughs> Eight and a yeah. half minutes, this thing. Mm. Eight and a half minutes. Suze, what mm. kind of journey does Freddie's voice go on live? Because it's, mm. it, I can tell with the non singing ear that his voice is very different at this stage yes. than it is, say, from here to Wembley 86. Mm. What does he do differently later, and why? What is it about his voice that sounds different now? I imagine, I can only go through like my personal experience with singing in, not with not with vocally damaging um, technique, but you can be in a vocally damaging situation, which lead singing on a rock tour is a vocally damaging situation. So mm. I imagine he's lost his voice a few times, which is really, really scary as when you're a singer it's super scary to lose your voice and you can get really dramatic about it <laughs> but i imagine that's happened to him a couple of times and so he's being more careful with it and then you get to 86 and he knows it always comes back which is why he comes out just wailing at the beginning of wembley 86 because mm. he knows yeah i'll get through to the end of this so i think there's just experience on his side when you go 12 years later is he slightly more sort of grounded? He's got a better bass. I think I, I so, mean yeah. bass as in B-A-S-E mm -mm, later yeah. on. Yeah, I think so, yeah. He, he, um, by the time we get to 86, his voice has matured and aged, but it hasn't deteriorated in the same mm. way as Sinatra's voice. He still could sing great at the end. You could hear the voice had aged and that there were things he couldn't do that he could have that you know that he was able to do 40 years earlier but there were things he couldn't have done 40 years earlier and you get that with freddie as well wow. Wow. it's a voice it's a voice that's matured rather than um like decayed hmm. how much do we love suze kempner analyzing how freddie's <laughs> voice works i love Nerd. this i love this thing that we get to do amazing <laughs> They round off the gig with um, See What I Feel I've Been, that Brian May super bluesy track, um, uh, which is rarely played, I think, on the Queen 2 tour by this point. But uh, it is also worth checking out, which then brings us halfway through. Oh, what's this? little thing for producer Oh, yeah, OK. OK, all right, yeah. OK, we'll have a little uh, intermission-style amuse-bouche. This is very short. I haven't had a chance to read this. 
It's just been okay. Producer Giles just sent this to me, so this is a quick love of our lives. Very quick little um, uh, uh, listener letter that's come in. So this is sent from Susan Ryan in Nikusa. Oh no, sorry, in NYC, USA, so New York City. Uh, and she says, "I <laughs> know oh, that was cheap." <laughs> Boo! Was I want cheap. to speak to this the manager. This is why I don't get. This is why I don't get booked on other podcasts. You see. Um, okay. Oh, okay. So she says, "Hey, Ro." Just wanted to say that I absolutely loved your dissertation on the Invisible Man video. Although I would not put it at number one, it is definitely in my top five. Fine, just like Sue's. Very good. She put it at number two as well. I I agree. (laughs) I agree. It is a great song and a superb video. Everything you said was so true. John looking so cool with his hat. Brian shooting with his guitar. Brian never looking hotter. Never looked hotter. I love the roll call of the band members. Yes. And at the end, when Freddie walks up Roger's back with his fingers. Correct. It is such a cool and fun video. Love it. Great job, Ro. All the best. Just loving the podcast, Susan Ryan. Well done, Susan Ryan. That. Thank you. I did not write that. That came in. Giles, you can at least confirm. I did not write this. This is genuinely a legit email. I cut out one lol. She put lol. <laughs> she put lol at the top. I mean, you know, I, I don't want to undermine the veracity of what she's saying, really. Uh, and and a lol might do that. So uh, yeah, I took the lols out. So it's slightly edited. <laughs> but that, I mean, I think all the points that that, that that Susan makes there is is fantastic. And um, anyone else that wants to agree with me about the Invisible Man can email in queenpod at thequeenpodcast.com. <laughs> uh, but keep bringing them in because uh, you know I think I think it's a uh, it's a wonderful. Um, uh, communication that we have now with our listeners, don't you agree, guys? Well, I just think I agree with that. You've edited that that down is is, is nowhere compared. That is to literally edit- word for word. I took the out one that, that Giles is going to do to this section of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that is as written, mate. That is as written. So John's John's literally staring into the middle distance at the moment, thinking, "God, what are my life choices been?" I'm just wishing I'd point. said that uh, the Invisible Man video reminds me of an episode of The Big Breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> what? Because they had the best sunglasses ever on The Big Breakfast. Just expecting Paula like Yates that. to be on the bed and Zig and Zag and Johnny Vaughan <laughs> and all of the gang to be there. Oh dear. Well, I'm with you, Susan Ryan, all the way. All the oh. way. Um, okay. Uh, all right. Well, we're going to get on to the uh, second gig from November the 19th and 20th. Simon, do you know which day this was recorded? Was it the 20th, the second they, day? They recorded both nights. Oh, so, did they? Um, yeah. Is this a blend of both then? I think potentially, yeah. I'm not sure which it, which one took the, the majority of it from us, okay. if that makes sense. All right. Well, look... Uh, I think Simon, you're going to talk us through the opening of this album, but uh, I thought it might be nice to uh, to play a little bit of procession uh, uh, into the big opening track. Here I stand, here I stand 
A track go on. So, so actually i've got to ask is that bit of procession was that pre was that the album that version that's played or are they actually playing procession no, no that's, a tape. that's a tape that's the tape just play, right, yeah. okay. no I, I for as long as i can remember now i i've been obsessed with how queen opened shows um i just absolutely love it and i i just think that when you think about that live experience is as a fan you'll have bought your ticket months ago before, you know, before the show. So you've been looking forward to this for a long time. There would have been a lot of palaver about getting to the gig. There'd been a lot of travel involved. Then you've been queuing for hours. You would have met the people either side of you in the queues. You know, you're all there for the same shared experience. It's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of build-up. And I just find it staggering, the number of the bands that just then walk on stage and go, all right, and just start playing. <laughs> and you just think, oh. Whereas with Queen here and through a all of their shows you just get you get that tape so the lights have gone down so you're already now you're at fever pitch and then the tape starts in the dark and maybe the lights are starting to to come up and flash and there's some kind of light show and so you're now you're really beyond excited and then that guitar kicks in for now i'm here and you're a queen fan so you know the track you oh i know this one and it just keeps teasing you with that now i'm here now i'm there and there's flashes of light flashes of the drums you know and then it all kicks in and by that point i you know i'm sure some members of the audience will just pass out and then miss the rest of the show because you've been teased and built up and whether they did that with one vision or flash or whatever you know they've always done that they've always whipped you up to the point and brian's said it in numerous occasions in and i think roger has as well in interviews it's you deafen and blind people at the beginning and then finish by leaving them wanting more you get out before they have a chance to recover and that's so true and it staggers me that not every band or singer does that you know that follows that (laughs) template because it's like they're too cool to do yeah. it, whereas Queen, Queen, not too cool to care. They well, care about the, the audience. The, yeah, exactly. And they're doing it for the fans. They're doing it to mm. give the fans. And, and, you know, Freddie's got them eating out of the palm of his hand mm. before he's even sung 
the lyrics because mm-hmm. the crowd are there ready for this experience and and this i think is such a great opening to a show and oh, this yeah. is only 1974 i know incredible incredible Brilliant. they're only three albums in and they're smashing it and actually you make such a good point it's it's something that is imprinted into my dna and you know my line of work i do have to think about putting running orders together for shows and um you know we'll kind you know that that but that that attitude that that fundamental of understanding of you know what are you doing in your first five minutes of a piece of entertainment and what are you doing in the last five minutes of a piece of entertainment you can put all the meat potatoes the vegetables everything in the middle that you want but the opening and closing of uh of uh, of, of 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 any sort of form of artistic expression is such a vast thing and it, it's something that I, absolutely is imprinted on me because of Queen. It's come yeah. directly mm. from Queen, that, that, that whole attitude. It's also, like, especially in, um, even in stand-up comedy on a much smaller scale, that that transition from the world of cues and seats and where you're putting your drinks and where you're putting your coats and bags into there is n- you are now in my world yeah. is so important. And the amount of time in Edinburgh when I've been doing shows that you spend just going through the transition from walk-in music to lights going out to music going down Mm. to there being a moment where people feel this is a show Mm. and there's been a definite change from where I was to where I am yeah yeah and when that goes wrong say the 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 tech misses the cue for the lights to go down or misses that moment of silence before the walk-on music starts it just punctures everything and the crowd think, oh, is something, am I... And it can take an hour to recover from that. And <laughs> yeah. sometimes you never recover yeah. from a minor thing, like maybe the mic cuts in halfway through your first word. Mm. Mm. Even something that little can make or break a show. Mm. So the fact that they put so much thought into creating an atmosphere... Mm. Is, is it just shows how much they care about the live experience of the audience. Yeah. I, I just think this show here, especially the November 74, you can see stuff that they go on to employ for years to come in the way that this set is put together. Mm. And procession into Now I'm Here, it just immediately reminds me of Wembley 86 with the tape of the... Yeah. the keyboard intro to one vision with all of that yes. smoke all of them backstage everyone waiting for that chord yeah. and then like you say you just your mind is blown yeah. within the first yeah. few minutes and you're yeah. up and jumping. few seconds so i've got a question for both you and Sue's john uh how much of a part did queen play in your decisions to become performers <laughs> hmm <laughs> <laughs> uh, de- I'd say, as far as um, singing goes, like most of it. Wow. Okay. I, just, I think, yeah. yeah. I I didn't I didn't know. Uh, I got told you can sing when I was seven, and I'd been That's singing awesome. Queen for years at that point. <laughs> so I think like they they like a way in. That's Queen amazing. and lame is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think for me it was more to have Freddie as a role model and to know that it was okay to be... Like, you could be a performer and you could be outgoing 
and extroverted even if actually you're not that sort of person mm. and it's okay to be have that contrast of shyness and ego right. like that makes sense it's not a contradiction and it's not they're not mutually exclusive so to be confident on stage doesn't necessarily mean you have to be confident off stage mm. Um, that's a beautiful answer. Here we go. Let's listen to a bit of Ogre Battle, please. Now once upon a time, an old man showed me a favour. When the piper is gone and the soup is cold in the table, and when the black crow flies, find a new destination. That is the sign. Come tonight. Come to the Ogre site. started with now i'm here of course you have to follow up with ogre battle don't you it's a one-two Again, punch isn't it it's yeah it's that deaf and blind thing at the, at the, the beginning just don't let let up and just keep going mm. and it's such a big sound isn't it that they're making it just yeah has brian done that thing that you that where he's tuned down his e-string to make it sound heavier or whatever it is that we talked about uh was it last session or the session before i can't remember well, know. you can tell that they've slowed it down, right? Between the two shows, and you you can you can tell that. So, one of the things that's great about the first show is how breathless and seat of the pants it is, mm. and it is really bursting. Mm. But I think they've learned, and you can. Freddie is <laughs> taking more time. He's. It feels a bit more sculpted. Yeah. They've gone from a really great opening track into Ogre Battle, but they're not. They're not kind of going 110%. They're pacing. Do you know what I mean? So it's, yeah, yeah. yeah, you can tell that, like, even the break there where it goes completely quiet, it's it's a band who are now thinking, right, we're in control Mm. and we know how to best um, deploy Mm. our various artillery. Yeah. (laughs) And we're not going to try and do it all at once in every song. Mm. And I think as a result, they can do more songs because this is what seven tracks longer mm, this mm, gig mm. because I'm guessing Freddie's voice is just slightly better protected. Yeah, very, very possibly. Yeah, I wonder what the, I wonder what their schedule was like at this point. It's just such a, you know, uh, I, it's all available, of course, but I wonder if there was a longer break even by one day between their last show and this show in order for Freddie to be able to come out Possibly, all guns yeah, blazing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, they'd been in the studio to actually record Sheer Heart Attack between the March yes. gig and the November gig, so that's that's incredible. Then they would have spent yeah. a whole load of time rehearsing because they rehearsed like, mm. like legends. So, yeah, amazing. Can I ask a really geeky question, a geeky drumming question of Simon? It sounds like Roger is doing open to closed hi-hats, which is an incredibly modern sound. I don't know anyone in the 70s who was doing that. I'd associate that more with... EDM dance music, uh, like 90s onwards. 
Um, it doesn't appear very much in the album, but it does seem to be something that Roger was into doing live a lot. Have I lost everyone? No. no what I, does that sound like? It's interesting. Well, the difference between the yeah the, with the hi hat is with well, the hi hat is 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 two symbols um, controlled by a pedal, and if you if you release the pedal, then they come apart. So when you hit them, there's a bigger it reverberates um, and so it echoes if you like. And then if you put the pedal down and close them together, then it's it won't. It just you just get one quick tss, like that. Right. Okay. And so then, if you hit it and open it, you get the tss like that as it as it opens as well. Ah. And sometimes you don't even have to hit it; you can just do it with the pedal, and it will make a. Would a famous example of open to closed be uh, 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 "Oh what a night"? You know, "Oh what a night." Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. But oh, so that's that thing that thing that we used to do in the nineties to. And then every now and then that's throwing where, a... That's where it comes uh, from. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> but then Roger also sort of, you know, develops the um, having two bass drum pedals, you know, with uh, on his foot so that he could he could do more with the bass drum using both feet as well. Because he was using them as a musical instrument. They weren't just there to keep time. He was creating melodies with, with his drums was, and cymbals as well. And point. because, you know, not only is he a brilliant drummer, but he's incredibly intelligent and... He's, he's he tuned his drums you know it was it, it, he's not just a thrash thrashing about person to keep keep the rhythm he there's a melody to how he plays as well it's which amazing. is why it works with queen yeah. that's why you couldn't have anyone else drumming for queen <laughs> yeah 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 fair play amazing stuff wow beautiful revelations about mr roger taylor's insane drumming abilities he's an all-round musician that man as well yeah. um okay so it seems ridiculous to skip over father to son and white queen uh, particularly father to son it is an immense immense version of that song so do go check it out dear listeners um but let us uh listen to a little bit of flick of the wrist now uh, and i want to hear what Suze has to say about this little number <laughs> it's rock theater. I played the guitar bit, but yeah. Oh yeah, it's rock theater. There's some. Oh, it's so great. I'm really glad you played that bit because what I wanted to talk about was um, Brian's solo. It's like pure joy. It reminds me of the Death on Two Legs solo that would come the following year on um, Night of the Opera. It it just comes in just like joyous, triumphant, but under it you can really hear John, you can really hear Freddie's piano. It's just such a great version of this track. He's singing in quite a strange way there, isn't he? You don't often yeah. hear his voice Growl. like that. It's, it's quite an odd Freddie uh, moment, yeah. just that specific He doesn't bit. do it that often. It's it's um, He's constricting and pushing air, so you can we can all do it if you... God, how to... How to 
so the opposite of constriction Cole, would <laughs> the opposite of constriction would be what Freddie did so well, which is um, high soft palate. So the soft palate is the palate at the back of the mouth, which and his was very high naturally. Right. Um, when you yawn, you'll feel that lift, and the trick is to stop yes. yourself yawning when you do it. He does that so much when he's singing. When right. he's doing the opposite to that is constricting further down the windpipe and pushing air through, which is getting that work my fingers to the bone. So I but see it's quite vocally, that kind of thing. Ah, that's different. That's oh. a growl. That's a Louis Armstrong <laughs> growl. And there are ways of doing that really safely, but oh. constricting safely is quite difficult and right. you can um you can hear what it did to Adele's voice. Oh right. Uh, yes, to voices like Keris Matthews, but um, Freddie's like on, he's being sparing with it. Cause, right, okay. Yeah, you don't want to do too much of it. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Well, I'm going to uh, move past uh, In the Lap of the Gods, which we get next on this album, which is fantastic, and get into. So they're, they're sort of doing a uh, essentially a little medley of, of songs off of uh, Sheer Heart Attack here. And in the medley, they threw in their number two mega hit, uh, <laughs> Killer Queen, yes? Let's listen to a little bit of that. Uh, taking us into a very special song. She's a killer queen, gun by the trinity, dynamite with a laser <laughs> Let's hear from John and Suze on this wonderful, glorious well, stuff. Well, from Killer Queen to Keep Yourself Alive, the reprise, you could you could actually 
argue they're doing a nine song medley here <laughs> and it's so clever and it you can see in this why they were so good at live aid right yeah because very early on they were finding ways to do each song justice but like we said earlier just not letting the audience go for a second there is you cannot take breath but i think what is most extraordinary is brian's control from killer queen march of the black queen to then bring back leroy brown three totally different guitar styles Mm. absolutely pitch perfect from the the solo in killer queen which is i just i think is it's it's unbelievable it doesn't get better than that with such precision (laughs) yeah to then going into that really heavy prog sound in march of the back black queen and then going into this sort of bb king-esque blues sound on um, Bring Back That Leroy Brown, then to have the ukulele, or the, it's not a ukulele, is it? It's a banjolele. And there's a moment where the, the tech hands it to him. And because you know the song, you know how brief that moment it's is crazy. and how quickly he's got to get there. Mm. And he just picks it up and he plays it with that sort of, that wrist action, which almost looks like it's moving faster than it's being played. Do you want to hear it now? Should we listen to it now? Oh, I'd love yeah, to. Yeah. It's unbelievable. It's like one phrase for him to get out of the guitar into the ukulele and then like dum 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 and he's back on the guitar. It's incredible. Yeah. And all of that, so Killer Queen, March of the Black Queen, and bring back Leroy Brown in four and a half minutes. Yeah, that's insane. And 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 that's what I think Queen don't get the credit for, is that's actually being incredibly um concise. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's not extravagant at all. No. That's the complete opposite. It, and it's such an effective way of getting through great songs without having to... Because if you tried to play March of the Black Queen its entirety live, it would just be so lumbering because it's too big. Mm. So they're able to make those punchy songs. I mean, it's a minute uh, 25 sorry, of Killer Queen and you don't feel shortchanged on it. Yeah. Not at all. No. And and that's that's why they nailed Live Aid because yeah. from an early stage they'd been able to get across so much in so little time. Yeah, mm. on Live Aid it's quite telling. They only play the opening section of Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, everyone mm. wants to rock out to the rock out bit later, but they never get there. They're just moving on to the next thing. They're really concise. Go on, Suze. Mm. You've got a lot to say about all these this little run of tracks. I just chose the fact. I no, I chose Killer Queen just because it. This was a hit at the time. This is yes. less than a month after it's been released. They're doing this show. Um, there are so many bands who would build the show around their only big hit single exactly. at this point. They don't do that. They, they build the show around the show rather yes. than around the hit single. They obviously went, no, Killer Queen, three minutes of Killer Queen doesn't fit. 
Yeah. It fit a minute and a half of it fits in this medley. So in fact, Brian yeah. says in the gig, doesn't he? We, uh, we thanks to you lot, we're we're just uh, mm. just a tiny bit shy of the number one spot. Thank you so much. And mm. their their relationship with the audience is absolutely incredible, isn't it? Yeah. As a corroboration to what Sue's just said, can I just mention that I once saw Doctor and the Medics live, and they played Spirit in the Sky five times. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yes, amazing. Bring back that Leroy Brown. Incredible. What a performance that was. Absolutely stunning. And then we move into, I think, maybe one of the heaviest tracks they've ever done. I love it. It is Son and Daughter. guitar, one bass, one drummer, one singer, mm. making that racket. This was a song uh, that was played in the very first concert they played under the name of Queen back in 1970 and would be a regular feature of the band's live set up until 76. They never brought it back uh, for those later gigs when they bring back things like Seven Seas of Rye or Lap of the Gods. And I just think it's, I, I think probably more on the f- first gig than the second gig, but it, it's just such a... Um such a bombastic sound that it's well worth uh, looking out for on on this album if you're a fan of their early stuff because it's sort of even heavier than than the album and actually they they continued playing stuff off um, off the first two albums later than I thought mm. so they were still playing Ogre Battle in '77 right wow which is, um, which is what news of the world which, and they were still playing Liar in the on the News of the World tour amazing. Yeah, so you sort of forget how long some of this stuff did did um, did stay in. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess they were fan favourites at that point, right? Um, I thought also what's interesting here is uh, son and daughter goes into Brian's guitar solo on this um, in this gig, and then they come back uh, into a son and daughter reprise. The thing I noticed about that was in the March gig, Brian's guitar solo was like two minutes twenty or something. And in the November gig, it's up to four minutes 41. And um, in Wembley 86, his guitar solo had reached nine minutes, nine seconds. <laughs> so I guess on the but current that's... tour is what, 20 minutes? We do 20 minutes now. <laughs> yeah. But I think, again, that's that's an example of where Queen were really good at compartmentalising their live shows. So Brian being so tight in between Killer Queen, March the Black Queen and Leroy Brown, you then give him a guitar solo, which has a double purpose of a allowing him to sort of really strut his stuff and break break out of that those sort of tight medley structures, yeah, yeah. but it also gives the band, a, the rest of the band, a moment to recover. Costume and as the tours got, 
yeah, as the tours got bigger, as the shows got longer, mm. it makes sense that that guitar solo extends because you have more energy you need to recover. You have more pints of Heineken you need to get <laughs> in you. <laughs> and then Roger's drum solo does the same for oh, Brian. Oh, I was going to say, when does Brian get his little breather? Hmm. But also with, with Freddie Mercury's sort of call and response, that then becomes yeah. a vocal warm-up for him. Yeah. Yeah. So there's all these quite clever little tricks they use to make sure each one of them is is getting little moments, yeah. A, to sort of express themselves musically, but also to cope with the the schedule of touring and the, the, the sheer length of the gigs. Because I've... I've I don't think I've ever seen a band play for two hours. They just don't do that no, anymore. No, no. I mean, I I saw um, uh, Greta Van Fleet at uh, it was the venue you mentioned earlier up in oh gosh, where was it? Kentish Town. Uh, and yeah. they're they're a brilliant they're a brilliant rock and roll band. They're a current young rock and roll band, but they've got this really Led Zeppelin-y sound. They're, I love them. Uh, and 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 the guitarist is a lunatic, and he just went off on one on a massive guitar solo. What occur- and it was brilliant. But what occurs to me when I listen to a Brian May guitar solo is it's about the science of sound as much as anything else. Uh, mm. I think you're right about him being able to let rip, but he's not doing what you would consider as a traditional guitar solo. He's experimenting with that echo thing, that th- three repeating thing, and just what the. the the science of what a guitar sound can produce is incredible. Well, he's hes never, ever an indulgent guitarist at all. Um, I've just realised I said people don't play for two hours anymore. Like Bruce Springsteen plays for like 10 hours. <laughs> but but it's more, if you go to a gig at a place the size of, say, uh, the Rainbow, you're more likely to see someone play for sort of an hour and 15 right, minutes, so then do an encore and, and, and then... Yeah. Yeah. And then come on. Yeah, yeah, fair play. So after Son and Daughter, uh, they get through uh, Keep Yourself Alive. Fantastic version of Keep Yourself Alive. Really heavy version, uh, which has a lovely drum solo from Roger in it. Uh, and then, of course, they play Seven Seas of Rye, which is immense. And then they play the first trap creditors, all four of them as writers. And um, it is really, really awesome. <laughs> Brilliant crowd. Uh, I just think that if you were in the room that night, that like that must have been such a um, frenzied moment of the gig. Yeah. It's the incredibly tight performance. It, it's so fast, like so much of these shows, it, they kept it so quick. Um, but it just, it's like a perfect performance it of really the is. song. Yeah. Pure thrash okay. as well, yeah. Yeah, it's a Queen song that I really, really love, and there it is being performed live perfectly, so that's why I included it. So, Simon, is this right? that um, So, uh, um, uh, Freddie said in an interview in 75 that Stone Cold Crazy was the first song Queen ever performed on stage. Yeah, so, apparently so, true. yeah. Is it? Oh, wow. Well. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, they didn't include it on an album Til until Sheer Heart Attack. Yeah, Sheer they, Heart Attack, they'd yeah. had sort of different arrangements on it, and then um, ah. and it was performed live pretty much at every gig between seventy four and seventy eight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
yeah, absolutely yeah. fantastic, isn't it? It's a cracker. Yes. It's a banger. <laughs> it's a banger. Simon. Yeah, that's what it is. And it's got a. It's got a great Freddy double L on. If it, uh, let me go to heaven, well, let me go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> it's so un unmetal, but it fits perfectly. Yeah. It's, it keeps things queen. It's it it's definitely the one where if you if you if you if you kind of are dealing if you've met someone that doesn't feel there's any credibility to Queen, you can play Stone Cold Crazy and they will shut up. They will have to shut <laughs> up. There's no choice. There's simply no choice. Yes. Um, all right. Uh, well, the last song that we're going to talk about on this um, on this podcast from this there's, there is more uh, on here. We we have another stunning long version of liar but i wanted to pick up on in the lap of the gods revisited for our um our, our, our less listeners that are less au fait with queen than perhaps some of the others uh just a little reminder that if you now know the woe la la's you are a legit badge wearing queen fan so congratulations let's enjoy some woe la la la's shall we just watching the zoom while that plays and uh and Sue's was like digging it and john's doing his middle distance thing and simon of the wolalas he's such a look of pride like he's yes this is why i am in the ranks of queen fans um uh, it's fantastic and freddie wrote that song for the audience to sing along to you know which um is something that they start to get into and and, and really do brilliantly um and i love that it, they, they they have brought it back into their sets um in, you know, they did it in the 1986 tour, of course. And I've done it a couple of times with Adam, haven't they? Am I going mad? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it has sort of popped up. It's, um, I don't think there's a song that makes me want to see Queen live as much as that. Hmm. Just to be able to travel back in time to sort of see the sun going down as that, as that happens, I think yeah. would just be yeah. an absolute mm. dream come true. Ah, John. That is beautiful. Well, uh, that was their closing track before their encore. In their encore was Big Spender, Modern Times, Rock and Roll, wasn't it, Simon? And yes, uh, Jailhouse Rock they had uh, in there. And then, uh, of course, by this point, they're now doing God Save the Queen, which appeared at the end of the... Uh, wait, hang on a second. That appeared on the Night of the Opera album, but they've started using... Ah, uh, uh, but they were already the doing it, yeah. Already, yeah. Off the back of Shit Heart Attack. Yeah, which is very, very cool. It's interesting, isn't it? Because when we when we hit 1977 
and we, we hit upon that combination of we will rock you and we are the champions as the the closing of the live show then mm. every live show from that point on ends that way yeah. which, which yeah. is great love it but yeah. here's, here's a question i wonder if you took we will rock you and we are the champions out of the queen catalogue over those years throughout the 80s what you would have finished shows with show must go on Ooh. oh yes i think if mm. it, i really regret not the fact that we couldn't get songs like i want it all live and stuff like that but that, that's yeah. one that's jumped straight out yeah sorry go on Suze. oh god um friends will be friends nah <laughs> you want something nah. just massive don't you i think in the lap of the gods yeah. would have probably come yes. back in much yes. earlier because yeah. can yeah. you imagine yeah. you know rocking rio Ooh. finishing with all oh. those hundreds yeah. of thousands of people whoa la la yeah or well, something like terry teo toriati with yeah. oh that's a good yeah. shout everyone chanting let us king together yeah yeah, I think it's only the fact that half of it's in Japanese that stopped it becoming that tier. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. Go on, John, you thought of the answer. I think maybe that where they had to have always done that elongated version of Somebody to Love oh, would of be an amazing way to, to end with that big, long oh, outro. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's almost um, astonishing that they would put that song in the middle of sets. <laughs> how, do you, how do you follow that? Yeah. It's, yeah, I think "God job. Save the Queen" is a is a is a great way to end it. Every is. Gig. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's course, so yeah. cheeky and fun and oh, it's brilliant. Yeah. I think it's just worth mentioning that um, Brian and Roger, you know, on this Rainbow release that came out uh, in 2014, Brian and Roger are so heavily involved in those and really uh, get roll their sleeves up and get stuck in. But these these things represent months, if not maybe even over a year, uh, labour of love um, for the production guys that work on it. And so I think we should take our hats off to Justin Shirley Smith, Chris Fredrickson and Josh McRae, who put so many ridiculous hours into making these sound as good as they do. And I, you know, the versions that we've been listening today are extraordinary, aren't they? So and, clean. Um, mm. That is the result of so many hours of work that so these guys amazing. put their lives on hold to do so hats off to them i already love josh from the cross so I'm yeah double loving shout outs to josh <laughs> but yes justin shirley smith seems to be a, a very key person in this stuff and who's the third guy you mentioned chris there? chris fredrickson as well of yeah, course yeah amazing yeah well done chaps nice chaps too as well which helps that's the thing isn't it queen yeah. just just brings that dedication out in you because they're so dedicated to their skill unbelievable yeah Yeah. right well there we have it our special on uh live at the rainbow uh go check it out it is good stuff um early queen is fantastic queen um so email us with your stories and questions queenpod at thequeenpodcast.com you can comment at the queen pod on twitter facebook and instagram We'll be back next time with Side A of News of the World, which is very, very exciting. All right, so we've got some uh, lovely thanking to our bohemian and champion patrons. John? Who are we thanking? Yes, I'm delighted to give thanks uh, for for support from Chris Jensen, Howard Skogvall, Mike Smith, Paul Monaghan, Lisa 
and Rusty E. Allen. Yeah. Thank you so much, guys, for uh, signing up to the Patreon. We we very much appreciate it. It does mean a lot. I'm also going to do a very special thank you to Steve Francis. He knows why. Thank you, Mister. You're a legend. Um, and uh, if we if you haven't heard us thank you yet, then don't worry. Stay patient. You will be thanked. I promise you. You will get your shout out, and we're going to start figuring out. Uh, how to do a little session with our bohemians in the near future as well. So stand by, sirs and ladies. Um, do take the time to give us a quick star rating on your podcast platform. Give us a little, to, to be honest, I say this every week. The main thing is find another Queen fan and tell them about us. We got our first J- Japanese Patreon, so someone has told Japan, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. Um, so yes, it is. Uh, it is. It, that's what we need: is just more Queen fans to know about it. Because uh, once they know about it, it seems that we all are sharing something just lovely and special um, with this wonderful music, this amazing band through this extraordinarily challenging times. So until next time, all you people, keep yourself alive. And uh, thank you to Suze, Simon John and producer Giles. Goodbye! Bye! This has been The Queen Pod, a Seven Seas Films production, edited and produced by me, Fergus March. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and stay in touch by emailing queenpod at thequeenpodcast.com. Thanks for listening, and see you next time. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium.